Well, guys, thank you for letting me uh, be with you tonight. And uh, normally this room, I'm talking to little knuck-knucks that are five-year-olds all the way through like 12. So this is very different uh, for me. So this is going to be good. So if I come up to you. Yeah, so if you start talking and I like grab your hand and move you to a different location, uh, it's just, it just happens automatically. Um, so, hey, how many of you guys had just maybe not this year, but you've just had a year, you're like, dude, I, I can't wait for this year to get over. Has anybody ever had a year? Yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so the last year of my life has really in large in part been a lot of that, has been um, a lot of like valleys, some mountaintops, but it's been like work, uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And, um, but I was just telling um, Bob uh, before we were praying there's this beautiful thing that is happening, though, out of the hardship. There's this beautiful thing that's happening out of the work. And what I've realized is there's got to be this, this glorious surrender on my part in order to allow God to do the work. And um, I would also say in my old age, what I've realized very quickly is, like, God has never done doing work on me. And, um, and man, this is just part of the journey. And so I'm so lucky that in the last season, I found like a really, really great counselor. This guy is like my Goodwill hunting. Um, this African-American, 55-year-old, big old fat Albert guy that is just crushing it. Um, and we've had like three sessions already. And it's one minute we're laughing, the next minute I'm crying. Uh, just, and it's funny how it keeps coming back to things I thought, you know, I'm over my dad issues and I'm really good and I'm totally healed. And he's like, oh, let's talk about this. I'm like, I'm not healed. I'm not over it. I'm so broke. So it's just funny how God, when you're ready, he's patient, he's kind, and he gets us where we need to be um, in such a loving way. And so tonight, I'm just going to kind of, we're going to really go after uh, shame. And I don't know about you guys, but it has been one of the most destructive things in my life. And, and people that I know, it's been one of the most destructive things in their life and in their story. And there's a power in the story that God is writing in all of our lives. And it's unique. My story is so different to your story and, and all of us in here. But God wants to bring healing and redemption to our stories because there's other people that need that just the same. And the thing with shame is the power of shame is that when it's in the dark, it grows and continues to grow and it perpetuates itself and it becomes more and more destructive. And so guilt is something that's different than shame. Guilt says, hey, I did something wrong. It's about behavior. But shame says, I am wrong. And shame is about identity. And that's why the enemy loves to work in shame because it works in contrast with who God's called us to be. It comes against, directly against our identity and gets us on a different path than God has intended for us. When I was, um, I, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Anybody from Michigan here? Okay, yep, yeah, no PC. Grand Rapids, and uh, believe it or not, I was black back then, uh, and that has not changed, and I grew up in a predominantly all-white private school, and so um, everybody looked, <laughs> didn't look like me, and uh, which was not a problem, and everything was great, until middle school when my dad lost his job, and in the seventh grade, my dad lost his job, and so we went from a middle, upper-class family that uh, worked with families and gave benevolence at the church and took the widows out to all of a sudden, now we're the family that needs the government cheese and the butter, and, you know, the, we don't have Cheerios, they're like Holy O's, whatever they were named, <laughs> and we were that family. And so as a 12-year-old, as a um, very, very significant 
uh, time of my life. And the shame messages that entered my life at age 12, truthfully, have been shame messages that have looked different the last several years of my life, uh, but they're very, very similar. And that's where the door was opened up for shame messages to come in my life. And as a 12-year-old boy, I didn't have anybody to come alongside me and help me identify, wait, these are ungodly beliefs. Wait a minute, this is not how God sees you. And so as a 12-year-old, I, I tried to figure out, okay, I, I have bugle boys on. They're the same pair of bugle boys I've been wearing for three days. They have holes in them. If people see me and see that I have holes in my bugle boys, they're going to say, what's wrong with him? How come he's not as good as us? The message of shame right away. Then there, then there was the fear of, well, what if, what if they see that I don't have a lot of money? What if they know that, man, I'm bringing the same peanut butter and jelly sandwich day after day. My mom doesn't have enough money to even give me snacks on top of that. So then there's the fear, right? And then all of a sudden there's something that I have to do because I can't stay in a place of fear. So now all of a sudden there's something that I have to do order to thwart the fear. There's some behaviors, there's a dance that I've got to do to offset the fear that comes from the shame. And so as a 12-year-old boy, I quickly realized, like, I've got to invent myself. I've got to invent some behaviors. And so the things that I turned to was humor. I found out really quickly how to be funny and how to be the class clown and how to be disruptive, which is part of the reason I'm a principal now, is uh, (laughs) because of all those reasons. And I see those kids and I love those kids. Um, I realized Okay, I'm going to perform. I'm going to be a great performer. And so in sports, I'm going to become a great, great performer on the stage. Um, and then I realized, oh, wait a minute. If you're in middle school and you have girlfriends, everybody thinks you're really, really cool. So then all of a sudden, girls became a very, part, a very popular part of my world because all of a sudden now it offsets the fear of what if people really know I don't have what it takes? What if people really know that I'm not loved? and so forth and so forth. And so today we're going to talk about the shaming message that all of us continue to battle even today. Genesis chapter 3, we know, is the famous chapter of where the enemy comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. And did God really say, and they take the fruit, and then of course shame enters into our world, and they go into hiding. They put on the fig leaves, God searches for them. He goes into their normal places saying, where are you? I can't find you. So even in Genesis 3, we see shame coming for us. Shame comes after us in different ways. Shame comes after us in the areas of failure. This is a really big one for men. Um, Man, we've been taught men don't fail, perform, perform. But failure comes after us in the area of failure in work, sports, relationships. Shame says this, that I am wrong. I'm doing it wrong. I've been wrong. I've been made wrong. I'm making the wrong choice. Shame says I'm defective. Man, I'm just physically defective. I'm mentally defective. Why am I not as smart as them? How come I just can't get it? Why am I so stupid? Shame says I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of my weight. I'm ashamed of my health. I mean my wealth. I'm even ashamed of my spouse. Ouch. Uh, I'm ashamed of my relationships. I'm ashamed of my family. And then shame says this as well, that no one, if they really, really knew you, they wouldn't love you. Man, if people really knew the real me, they wouldn't love me. Several years ago, I had the privilege of speaking to a um, Christian school in Florida. 
and I was talking about shame and some of these things, and this girl um, came up to me. She was senior in high school and just had it all. I mean, she's the girl you're like, man, this girl has it all together, you know, on the cover of the, of the website and da-da-da-da, and just the picture of perfection of the school of like 2,000 kids. And she comes up, and she has tears in her eyes, and she said, I've not realized how much shame has played a role in my life up until now. Shame has determined every decision that I've made this year as a senior. I said, what do you mean? I said, tell me more. She goes, the only time that I've heard dad talk about how much he loves me or cares about me is when he's with his Navy buddies and he says how proud he is that I'm going into the Navy. She's like, that's the only time that my dad will give me attention. That's the only time I know I'm loved by my dad. And I've been walking around with the shame of I'm broken, I'm messed up, I'm, there's everything wrong with me unless I'm going to the Navy. And for that little girl, that shame message entered into her life, and she's getting ready to make, I don't even know how many dollars decision for the rest of her life. Her life is going in a whole different trajectory because of a shame message. How about this one? I, I, um, in Florida, when I was from, in Florida, I used to speak at um, uh, drug and alcohol treatment centers. Uh, just some of the best times of ministry was there. And I'm um, talking about the same issue in this this girl comes up to me, and she's, once again, you know, just, I, thank you so much for sharing this message. And for me, shame entered my life. Now, this is a girl, 28 years old, life wrecked with heroin, wrecked with drugs, everything that you can imagine. On the outside, looks great. On the inside, destroyed. Shame entered her life as an 8-year-old when she was at the grocery store with her dad. Interesting how a lot of these shame messages originated from our fathers. And isn't it interesting that when we struggle with shame messages in our life, that it really, there's a wall, there's a chasm between our Heavenly Father, which is really what the enemy is going after, right? If I can keep them from intimacy from their Heavenly Father, then he's done half the work. He's not going to take our lives, he's not going to destroy us, but he gets us off our path. So anyways, this little girl, as an eight-year-old, is in the grocery store. Can you imagine? And this is my son right here. And I'm, you know, we're in the grocery store, and we're in the checkout, and we're scanning the items like every little girl. And they love to see the numbers light up. And $2.36, $5.02. This is so cool. There's no more items. And the dad takes the little girl's arm and scans her arm. And then he goes, just what I thought, worthless. As an eight-year-old. So you think about the power of that shaming message to that little girl. And you, like myself, when I heard that story, I, I gasped as well. But I wonder here tonight how many times we gasp for ourselves when the shaming message is the exact same you've been living with. I wonder how many times do you gasp for yourself when you've walked through an ugly relationship or an ugly divorce and you walk around saying, I don't trust another woman, I won't trust another man, I can't get another job because of what that boss said, so I'm not even going to go for that job because you know what, I'm a failure, and if I go for that job, I'm going to fail again. I wonder who gasps for who when that happens. And see, because we are caught up in the cycle of shame, it's very easy to have a heart and recognize it for other people, but not extend grace for ourselves. And I believe tonight that God wants to bring some revelation to the shame messages that we walk around with because he wants us to be free to tell the story of freedom to others. When we embrace shame messages, we literally take on the identity of that shame, the identity of that sin. Shame does this as well because the foundation of shame is lies. It's no wonder that then we start to believe lies about God 
who he is, right? So, man, if I'm not feeling loved, nobody cares for me, nobody's there for me, God, how come you're not there for me? How come I can't trust you? How come you're only there for people who do the right things and who don't sin and who haven't sinned for two months and because I just made a mistake, you don't? It goes on and on and on. Ungodly beliefs are birthed out of shame. And when we start believing ungodly beliefs, then we start to live in ungodly ways. And so God wants to replace the truth of who he is so that we can start walking out the abundant life. It just doesn't happen. We don't just wake up one day and, I think today, this day, I'm going to live out John chapter 10. No, it comes through the renewing of the mind, right? And from godly beliefs, recognizing where there's ungodly beliefs and replacing those with godly beliefs. Here's some one way you can always recognize shame messages. Is they're always accusatory, right? Our enemy that says in Revelation 12.10 that he accuses the brethren, that's us and the sisterin, day and night. He's always accusing us. So shaming messages are always accusatory. And here's one way that I've started realizing I can recognize them. Is if I'm looking in the mirror, it may start off like this. Dude, you are so ugly. You're getting so old. Look at those wrinkles. Oh my goodness. You really think you're going to do a good job? at the school, like who in their right mind thinks they can do a startup? You can't do this. Then if I'm not careful, all of a sudden this starts turning into, man, I am really ugly. I am looking so old. I don't have what it takes. I'm a really bad leader. See how it goes from you accusatory to I? So when we start embracing those messages over and over and over, the enemy can be like, Woo, I'm done with that one. You got it, Chris. Off you go. You're running, son. Keep going. Keep saying I. Keep embracing that. Keep embracing the lie, the shame messages. Jesus wants us to break that off. Recognizing that you is the enemy and saying, I recognize who you are. I recognize shame is not for my father. I'm not taking this on as an I. And we stop it there by renouncing the lie and embracing the truth. So we go from shame. It's a cycle. Shame always leads to fear. And fear will put us inside a box. Fear is crippling. It says in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, that Adam and Eve, they hid because they were afraid. So the fear is, is that I will be found out. So one of my core, just to be honest with you guys, Saturday Supper Club, one of my core shame messages is I don't have what it takes. That's, that's a shame message that I have lived with for a very long time. So sometimes it shows up in people maybe doubting me. Sometimes it shows up. Here's where it showed up a lot in my life, especially early on in my career. It seems like God would always give me jobs that I had no business in. <laughs> like, totally not qualified, no degree for the business, but like, well, you're great. You'd be phenomenal at being a director of alternative education. I'm so, what? Sure I would. No stinking clue. Scared to death in my office. What am I going to do next? Crippling fear. Shame, right? But the way that I deal with my shame, instead of hiding, which a lot of us do, and I do that in other areas, is I step forward in fear. I perform. Now all of a sudden it's song, dance, smoke, and mirrors, and I can do it. Right? <laughs> but behind it is fear. Behind it is like I'm scared to death. Behind it is the shame message of I don't have what it takes. But if I can do enough of this, which, by the way, is incredibly exhausting. So it could be that tonight, some of us are finding ourselves very tired and very exhausted. And it's not necessarily because you're working out three times a week or what. It could be because there's shame in our life right now that we're not dealing with. 
that's leading to anxiety because we're fearful. Like, what if, what if this person in my life, what if my husband really knew I thought this way? What if my boss really knew that I, I'm not good at, whatever it is, it could very well be that fear is at the root of it. Fear of rejection, fear if they really knew. Shame loves to do this too. Shame loves to interpret our, our past failures and bring it into today's situations. All the time, it will do that. And so let me give you an example of that. Um, uh, so this one, we'll take a very simple example. Uh, my wife, Beth, who is not here, she's gone away at a retreat with some of, the, with some of her girlfriends. And um, so she likes for me to take out the trash, right? Uh, and I think every woman would love for their man to take out the trash. Anybody in here not want the, okay, good. And, uh, but if I forget to take out the trash, she will remind me to take out the trash, which then I feel like, well, she thinks I'm not doing a good job of taking care of the household. She thinks that I'm not doing a good job at being a man. She thinks that I'm not really thinking about her, and then I'll just play that whole thing out. So a week later, Beth could be talking about like, hey, you know what, I think we really need to come up with a, a, a good system for the trash. Not even, not even thinking about me, probably thinking about him, and he should be doing the chores and all that. But because I'm feeling shame from the past situation, my level of like what should be totally a normal conversation all of a sudden goes whoop. And I'm like, what do you mean we need a new system to take out the, right? I don't know if anybody else can relate to that, but I go from zero to 60. It's not even about the trash, but it's about the shame that I'm carrying from a very simple situation into a present situation, um, from the past situation into the present situation. And fear will do that over and over and over again because that's what shame does. So shame, when we embrace shame, it leads us to fear. But because we can't stay in fear, we're not wired to live in fear, we've then got to do something about it. We've got to alleviate this fear. And this is where we move into control. We experience control. We respond to more shameful and painful ways through this cycle. And Adam and Eve did that in verse 8, right? Because they're like, oh my goodness, we just sinned. We just did what God didn't do. Instead of running to God, and saying, oh, we totally screwed up. Please uh, forgive us. Eve, go get some fig leaves. Here's what we're going to do. God Almighty will never see us if we put fig leaves on our bodies. He won't know. Right? And that's what they did. And that's the same thing that we do is we find ways to control when we experience shame. One of the ways that we do that is we hide. No one, will love me, know me if they, no one will love me if they know the real me. I can't be exposed, so I have to hide. Um, here's one of the things that just the byproduct of this whole year for me. Uh, this summer, I felt like a crazy person. Just going to be honest. There were days sitting at my kitchen table with my head and my hands saying, this is the craziest thing ever. Wh- what are we doing? What am I doing? I just want to run. I'm moving back to Florida. This cray cray like you know and there were thoughts that I had that I've not had my whole life that I know other people have struggled with and battle and depression and what leads to depression and suicide but for the first time in my life there was a thought of oh I understand now I get what it feels like to feel so overwhelmed but the power of how I got through that was Conversations with my wife, conversations with great friends, conversations with mentors, conversations with pastors, conversations with counselors of saying, I'm stinking crazy. Here's what I'm thinking. I know it's crazy. I feel like this one, one minute, the next minute I feel like this. I know I'm schizophrenic, but I got it out. I was talking about it. 
and men, women, I want to tell, here's a big fat secret about us men. Because you think like, we don't have, we only have 20,000 words and we're not deep and we don't know, we can't connect. It's, we just keep it all up here. We're exactly like you. The, the crazy process, it goes on and, and on with us. Sorry guys to put you out like that. But that's the reality of it, is that we're, the, we're it's the same way. But there's, there's freedom and not hiding. There's freedom and almost like telling on yourself. There's freedom in exposing, okay, here's what I'm feeling. Here's, I feel defective. I feel broken. I feel super ugly. Whatever the shame is, the lie is, and getting it out. Once we get past the fear and stop trying to control it, then there's freedom on it. But one way we try to do that is by controlling, by hiding. The next thing that we do, and I talked to you guys about this, is in the area of performance. So, man, if I'm feeling shame that I don't matter, that I don't measure up, I mean, they're going to find out. And so now I'm going to control by performing, okay? And that's, there's a very subtle lie with this one because you get accolades, people applaud you, your identity becomes, you are so good at that, da, 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 and you're such a blessing to all of us. And just praise Jesus that you're doing it. And it's like, yep, it's for you, Jesus, part of it. But a lot of it makes me feel good about me and the shame messages that I fight every day. And that's, the trap, the performance trap of that. For me, back into that middle school age, it's so crazy. If I could go back and rewind and hand a script to somebody and say, here's what I need help with. Please speak truth into my life. Please, actually, it'd probably be you, Bob. A man saying, like, please. I don't know what would have been different in my life. Now, God uses all things for those who love him, all things for those who surrender to him. And he has used it, and he's continuing to use it. The, these kids that sit here every day, they're, they're getting the fruit of that. Amen. Because that we're creating a school where, like, we talk about vulnerability and shame. We, we're going after risk and resilience. And I tell people that come into our school all the time, we're a weird school. Like, just so you know, we're weirdos. We love Jesus, and we talk about emotions, and we give kids tools. And, like, they're like, oh, we love that too. I'm like, oh, okay, great, come on in. Um, <laughs> But for me, what entered in was that, that formative middle school time. Listen to this, how simple this is. I'm in eighth grade, um, love girls, because remember, girls helped define me, da, 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 but I've never really had a serious girlfriend. And so the first girl that says that she is going to like me, um, I think I've told a couple of you guys this story before, or about her, Heidi Bosscraft. And uh, blonde hair, Dutch, you know, um, complete opposite of me, and just super cute. Well, she likes me. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I'm going to have my first girlfriend. Two weeks later, breaks up for, with me um, for the star of the basketball uh, team. The star. We're in middle school, but he's the star, right? <laughs> and uh, literally, like, that night and for a week, I cry myself to sleep to Phil Collins' groovy kind of love. When I'm feeling blue, all I have to do is make my life. And then you just... It's just done. It's weeping. And here's the crazy thing about this as I rewind this. You know, like if this guy, if that happened to, I'm praying that as a dad, I'm like super attentive and like asking, hey, man, are you okay? Da, da, da. And going in his room and chasing after his heart and saying like, dude, you've been in there for like hours. But for me, I didn't have, my dad didn't do that. He didn't come after me. And I'm now just now doing the work of why. And because I'm doing the work, I'm, 
letting go of the anger and the resentment and the bitterness I've carried for 30 years. And now my counselor's helping me come from a curious space and say, Dad, I don't know what it was like to be you. Just tell me. Can you help me understand? And it's this weird space to walk in, but it feels so powerful because it's vulnerable, right? But it's authentic, too. And so he didn't step into that space. He didn't come in where I was at. And so I'm there trying to interpret these messages of, dude, you're a loser. Like, how did you lose a girlfriend in two weeks? Like, and to the star of the basketball team? Like, what are you going to do about that? You're going to have to go to school and face everybody. And people are going to shame you, and they're going to think you're less than, and da-da-da-da-da. So you know what I did? I was probably the, the only black kid in America in the seventh grade that was horrible at basketball. I was horrible. Like, horrible. Like, I was the kid, wide open. First of all, I only got in the last 20 seconds, like, every time. And then one game I got the ball. I was a breakaway layup, wide open. I shot it. A layup is, like, as close as you can get. And I shot it over the backboard. Like, over. I was horrible. But I was really good at baseball. So I left baseball. And anybody want to guess what sport I worked incredibly hard at for that summer? Basketball. Oh, yeah. Day and night, day and night. I was as dark as this chair because I was outside so much. <laughs> Believe it or not, we get darker. <laughs> Dark. But shame and fear are incredible drivers. Incredible drivers. And some of the most quote-unquote successful people that we see are filled with shame. They're broken and jacked up on the inside but they appear successful to the world. And that's why in their dying bed, all the shame messages, all the regret, all that comes up of like, I would give it all away. And we lay there and we sit there and say, well, why didn't you? Well, shame drove them. They never gave up shame. They never gave up the fear. They never gave up the control to perform. So performance is a really big one. Um, the next one, we control by wearing a mask and pretending, um, which leads us to addictions. See, when I have to wear a mask and I have to pretend, I'm walking around in an inauthentic way. I'm not being myself. And that doesn't, that doesn't feel good. Anybody ever move in that space? I have. And, you know, you don't always recognize it right away, but sooner than later, you start to feel the yuck of that, the destruction, the inner destruction of what starts to happen to you on the inside. And so because of that feeling, nobody wants to sit there in that fear. Nobody wants to sit there in that pain. So then we turn to addiction because we've got to find a way to numb out. Because I can't, I can't feel that. And I can't be honest about that. Because that means that's more of the pain. So then it just becomes this vicious cycle over and over and over and over again. That's why the power of what you guys are building here in this culture, this church here at Saturday Supper Club, is incredibly powerful and what the church really needs. Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that are still in church wearing masks and pretending. Uh, some of them have microphones. Some of them have guitars. Some of them sitting in chairs. I mean, they're everywhere. It just looks completely different. And so one of the charges to you guys tonight is if you do not have a community that you can move in and be authentic with, find it. It exists here. Find it. Find it here. Find it somewhere else. Another man or another woman that you can just say, here is my, I'm trying to be careful, my son over there, my crap, my stuff, my junk. Uh, and that they're going to love you the same. Like, Chris, I, man, thank you for sharing that, dude. I still love you. How can I help you walk through that? And I know that's what everyone wants in here, is they want those relationships. And that's what it's going to really take for God to free us 
from the power, the power of shame. Um, in, in controlling, we learn that we are not enough, and so we have to control more and more and more. Here's another thing that we do. We become fighters, and we become self-sufficient. That's a really big one. Um, and I'm going to, let me just, I'm going to maybe, no, I'm not. I'm going I'm to say this. Um, I've seen just in the school business, uh, at moms and dads, I've seen a lot of divorce. It's just, it's the byproduct of, unfortunately, what we walk through. And one of the things that I have seen is um, moms that walk through divorce and the shaming message of, you're not going to be anything without me. You're never going to make it. Um, and, and I've seen the intentionality of men actually trying to crush their ex-wives. I've seen that too. Um, so on the flip side, I've seen a lot of women that have done it right, but I've also seen a lot of women that are like, have become incredibly self-sufficient. Like, I don't need anybody now. Because, because you, you hurt me, you're telling me that lie, you're telling me that shame, and now they become incredibly self-sufficient. I don't need anyone. I won't let anyone in. Their hearts are hardened. They become tough. They might become successful, but they're back to that brokenness inside. So self-sufficiency is another lie. It's another trap of shame and the way that we control that. So here's, here's what we do about it. God wants, he wants our shame. He wants it. He's like, give it to me. <laughs> this is why I died. The cross, it, it was for this. That's why I went down the Via Della Rosa. It's because I was thinking about you and your shame and your pain and that situation and that circumstance that you didn't choose it to happen to you. Someone did that to you. And now you're saying I'm defective and I'm wrong and I'm broken because it was something that he did to you. So you're carrying around that shame. And God's like, no, 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 no. You're not broken and defective because of what they did to you. You're still loved. You still matter. So give him your shame. What that means is to step into the confusion, guys. And here's, here's what I'm realizing is it's not pretty. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. Otherwise, we'd already be doing it, right? But step into the pain. Step into that broken area. And I, you're going to need help. You're going to need help, especially if you've been operating like this for two, five, ten years. You're going to need somebody to come along with you and help you look at those areas of shame. The truth is nothing you have done or are dooms you to defeat. His grace, getting in the presence of God is critically important because in the presence of God is where everything else is drowned out and you can hear from the Father of what he really says. Because in the world, the craziness of the world, there's so many other voices, so many other shaming voices. I mean, God bless our hearts, but so many of us have heard the message of shame on you to kids, right? I mean, it's just everywhere in our society, like shame, 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 shame. But when we step into the presence of the Father, there's none of that. He sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees us as righteousness. And we need to, we need to hear that over and over and over again. Getting with people who can sing your song back to you. Here's what I mean by that. Is, uh, let's say, if I, what's your name? Ben. Ben, okay. If I spent time with Ben uh, over a couple hours and he was transparent and real with me and I was with him, um, I'm probably going to hear parts of your brokenness, Ben, right? But I'm also going to hear, like, parts of, like, who God's really created you to be. I'm going to hear your real heart of like, man, I really believe God's calling me to this. I really believe God wants me to do this. I really know God wants me to love my wife this way. You need men around you that can remind you of that. Dude, you remember when we had breakfast 
and you said that, 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 I believe that about you, man. I know that to be true about you. That's, man, that's so, yeah, that's, and cheer you on so that those days that you're dealing with the shame and the lies, you, people can say, man, that's not who you are. That's not, that's not true. You're not broken. You're not defective, and you do matter, and you are loved. Dude, I love you, and we need people that can sing our song back to us. Here's something else we need when shame comes is we need to rest in God and trust that he's enough. I mean, so many times shame says, my big one is I don't have what it takes. I I don't matter. And part of the reality is, apart from God, I don't have what it takes, right? And I was, but the enemy gets right in there and says, you don't have what it takes. Forget about God. No, no, no. You on your own don't have what it takes. And that's when I was like, Thank you, enemy, for reminding me of that. <laughs> Good thing I got my big brother Jesus over here, can whoop you behind any time. And through him, I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ. Thank you for the reminder. I appreciate that. So resting in God and trusting that he is enough for us. Here's something that I, I realized, um, and I'm almost done, um, just as I was uh, digging into um, shame. One of the things that we're really going after here at my school uh, is, man, how do we just strip away everything that looks religious? And uh, guys, I don't know if you know it or not, but religious, re- religion is in Christian schools. It's everywhere. And I've operated in religion as well. Um, and I'm really saying, like, okay, who's Jesus? Like, who is he really? And if he was really a teacher, like, really, like, if he walked in here and he was really teaching kids, like, I don't think, it, truthfully, which is sad, I don't know if it would look a whole lot like what we're doing just to be honest. But I want to get there. And so God's been just downloading to me about who he is in all these areas, and we're going after shame big time with our teachers, with our kids, and we, want to, we just want to stomp it to death. But here's something that I realized is Jesus, all throughout the Bible, <laughs> was stepping into areas of shame for people. How about his first miracle? Jesus turning water into wine. Dude, they had ran out of wine. Like, back in that day, you were the talk of the town. You know those losers, the Wilsons? Man, they threw that party, and they ran out after two hours. <laughs> we ain't going to their house no more. Jesus steps in to the area of what could have been shame. You guys don't have what it takes. You can't even put water. You can't even get wine here. Jesus steps in, turns water into wine. Boom. Miracle, shame averted, right? How about this one? The government official, the high and mighty government official of Capernaum, whose son was dying, he passed through shame of you're the mighty official and you should be able to fix this problem of your son dying and said, Jesus, I need you to heal my son. Jesus steps in, eradicates shame, the should-ofs of life, because we should all over ourselves, the should in this situation, the government official heals the son. How about this? Men, Fishermen, for years and years and years, these guys are the best of the best on the Sea of Galilee. Can't catch anything all stinking night. Loser fishermen, quit your stinking job. Who do you think you are? You don't have what it takes. I got to go home to my wife. Empty nets. It goes on and on and on. Jesus says, hmm, can I borrow your boat? Take me out to the river. I want to preach to some people. By the way, throw those nets on the other side doesn't just give them truth, steps into their area of shame, boom, these guys are now the talk for the next five years. Newspapers everywhere, the biggest catch ever, right? Jesus steps in. Unclean man with leprosy. 
unclean man. Here's the part I want you to get about this. This guy who is supposed to declare everywhere he walks, unclean, unclean, unclean. So everybody knows the leper is coming. Presses through the looks of shame, ridicule, rejection, knowing that the source of his healing, the source of his freedom is Jesus Christ, moves towards Jesus, and Jesus heals this man. How about this one? The paralytic, who's loved enough by four men that said, dude, we'll do what it takes to get you to Jesus. Try to get through the front door. They can't get through the front door because everybody and their mother is there watching Jesus, talking to Jesus, loving on Jesus. Jesus is doing his thing. So these guys push past the shame, start tearing up somebody's roof to get to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, that's risk. Because not only are we like, hey, we're bringing our, our, our buddy that's dying to Jesus. We're going to tear up somebody's roof. We're going to lower them down. Everybody's watching us. But I want my healing for my friend that much that we are willing to press through shame. We are willing to press through rejection. We are willing to press through the people who say we can't do it and say, no, I want what Jesus has more than I care about what you're saying. And that's what these people did. They lower them down. Jesus brings healing. The woman whose daughter is demon-possessed asks Jesus to help her. The disciples even say, <laughs> they still don't get it. They shame her. They're like, Go away, sister friend. She's like, no, 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 no. She gets to Jesus. Jesus tells her a couple of things that, to be honest with you, kind of hard. She could have walked away, but she's still pressed in. And Jesus heals her daughter. Here's the last one. Twelve years. Twelve. I don't know about you, Chris. You, you tore your bicep a while ago and all that. Can you imagine that? It was painful. Imagine if that thing was for 12 years. Paul, you've been sick for a long time, four months, five months, 12 years. Woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. Unclean. Everywhere she goes, everybody knows that's who she is. Everybody knows that's the woman that has that problem. She doesn't wait till Jesus is alone, when Jesus is, you know, off praying on a rock by himself. Hundreds of people are there. She presses through. Who knows what's happening in those exchanges as she's pressing by people? I'm sure they're not just saying stuff. I'm sure people are, might even be pushing her away, kicking her. I mean, we got to really imagine what it would really be like. She presses through, touches the hem. <laughs> the hem. Not his hand. The hem of his garment. And because Jesus is so sensitive to our needs, because he is so present with us, stops and says, wait a minute, who touched me? And guys, tonight Jesus is inviting you to give your shame to him. He is saying, will you press in? Will you come to me and will you give it to me? And I will recognize you. I will see you. I will validate you with my truth. I will validate you with my love. I will tell you who you really are. But are, are you willing to let go of the control? Are you willing to let go of the fear? Are you willing to recognize that you've been operating in places of shame? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We already know you're here and you're with us and you've been here, but we tonight choose to invite you into the areas where we have been operating in shame, the areas of lies, 
recognized and unrecognized, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to illuminate and shine your light of revelation and the spirit of truth in those areas. We pray right now in the name of Jesus against the spirit of fear that says, I have to operate like this. You don't understand me. You don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand what I've done to myself or others. We say no in the name of Jesus Christ, and we declare that no more will these shameful lies be allowed to operate. Tonight, God, will you, will you allow us to make a decision to end shame? Allow us to make a decision to end shame. And then, God, after that, we ask that, secondly, you would give us eyes to see the shame that we've been operating in. Holy Spirit, give us discernment to see the areas of brokenness and shame, whether it's allowed us to perform or hide or self-sabotage or to hold on to. We just say discernment in the name of Jesus. And then, God, we thank you. We thank you that there is a gift called repentance, and it's given to us. And so we pray for a spirit of repentance for all of us right now who are walking before you in this area of shame and have made the decision are asking to see. Now we ask for repentance, which is a renewing of the mind, which is a different way of thinking, a different way of processing, and therefore will lead to a different way of acting. But we ask you for a new way, to, a new way of thinking, a new way of operating. And then, God, we, we ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for, um, for embracing this area of sin. And really, that just simply means to embracing, that we've been embracing areas of missing the mark. We've just missed the mark with you, God. And there's so much. You're not condemning us. You're not you're judging us. You're just saying, I'm so thankful that you recognize it now. But we, will you forgive us, God, for not operating in your truth of godly beliefs? And then, Lord, we ask tonight that you would allow us to develop new habits, um, new ways of thinking, new ways of seeing situations and seeing ourselves interacting with other people that maybe our tendency was to hide before, but that a new habit for us would be, hey, I'm going to go and introduce myself to someone, or I'm going to go on a date now because I do believe that God has healed me from my divorce, or whatever that is, God, that there would be new habits uh, of operating. Lord, we just declare that right now in the name of Jesus, new habits of operating. And then, God, we thank you for your word that is sharper than a double-edged sword, <laughs> that it pierces. So help us to live on your word and, and realize who you say that we are, our identity, what's based upon your word of God and what you say and what you speak to us. And then, God, lastly, I pray tonight that um, we would make a choice on what we believe, even beyond feelings, even beyond what we feel, that we would choose to believe differently than the shame messages and the tapes we have believed in and that we've been operating in. We declare that we have freedom in these areas, that we will walk in freedom because we're going to walk in community. We're going to stay in the presence of God. We're going to live with people who can sing our song back to us, which is your song. The song that there's now no condemnation, none for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Good word. Thank you.